0: In the name of Jesus, amen. There is a little statement in our Old Testament reading today and in our Gospel reading today that I really don't like. God decided to test them. God decided to test the Israelites in the book of Exodus. Jesus decided to test his disciples in the Gospel reading today. This is not something we really think about with God when it comes to our relationship with him. We pray, we give thanks to God, we sing his praises, we love all of his creation that he's given to us in body and in soul. We look at him for comfort and for direction. We look at him as our great powerful king and our savior. But then when this term, he decided to test them, comes along, The brakes all of a sudden stop us and we begin to scratch our head and we say, what is this all about? Why would God want to test us? Why would God want to throw a wrench into our well-oiled machine? Why would God want to cause us to stop and to look at our life and to say, it's all been turned upside down? You might have done this with your kids as they were growing up. It's really a great thing to do as parents, even though the kids don't like it, to look at your kids as things are going along and to give them little tests here and there to see whether or not they're listening. Are you listening to me? Did you hear what I said? Sometimes maybe even I in many ways need to be told that. I'm sure you do as well. But this is not something we like. We don't like the idea or the thought about God testing us. We don't put up pictures in our Sunday school materials or in our hallways of Jesus somehow testing us. But this is true with what God does. He puts us to the test at times to make sure that we truly trust in Him and to make sure that we are truly listening. Now, that's not all comforting, it's not something you're going to really find that you find to be a great motivation as you leave here today, but nonetheless, it does happen. What we heard about with the feeding of the 5,000 today could not really take place in our day and age today. There are too many people. There's not enough masks, certainly not enough hand sanitizer, and who knows whether or not the bread is organic or maybe it's gluten-free or who knows whether or not the fish are wild-caught or farm-produced. Who knows what the CDC and the local health department would say about such an event. But this is how we think today. We're all about social distancing, physically keeping ourselves away from each other and for a good cause. When we see crowds, we get a little nervous. In the New Testament, Jesus deals with quite a few crowds. It would actually make a very interesting Bible study to see how Jesus handles them. Today, Jesus handles one of the larger crowds that he deals with in the New Testament with the feeding of the 5,000, and that's men. That's not counting the women and children. In parallel counts of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus speaks about having compassion on the crowds. They are like sheep without a shepherd. This means that there is no order. It's chaos. Remember this whole talk about Lent and bringing order? There's lots of fears, lots of concerns, and lots of questions. Now, you and I might say, well, yeah, we've been there too. We've had lots of fears, lots of concerns, lots of questions. So why does God take this time to test them? You and I have had lots of fears, lots of concerns, lots of questions over the last year. In fact, we might say that 2020, and maybe even now 2021, has been one giant pop quiz. Remember 2019? Remember 2018? Remember 2006? Ah, the good old days. The days where you would look at this place filled to the brim, where you would actually see people's faces, I can't wait for that day where I can actually see what you all look like, apart from the masks. In a lot of ways, though, you and I and our world are like a lot of sheep without a shepherd. But we, in a lot of ways, have a lot of possibilities, even when Jesus decides to test us. The crowds that follow Jesus went wherever he went, even if it meant going to a desolate place like they were today. They were followers of Jesus. Maybe you could say they were even fans of Jesus who simply wanted to be closer to him. They were people who wanted to hear more about what he wanted to do for them. And they were, more, they were people who wanted to see what he could do for those who were sick, those who were in need of hope, those who were fear, full of fears, shame and guilt people who were full of sins that they couldn't handle themselves yet in all of this today in the desolate place with this little this large crowd Jesus' disciples who are the number checkers they realize there's a little problem this massive crowd has not eaten for the entire day what happens when a large crowd does not eat The crowd becomes chaotic, It becomes unruly. How do you feel after not eating the entire day? Does the word hangry come to mind? Jesus, though, in the midst of the crowds and the desolate place, in the midst of the hunger, he decides, I'm going to test them. This doesn't make sense. So he says, where shall we buy bread that all of these people may eat? Probably about 15,000 people there. This is like going to an NBA game or a Razorbacks game and saying, go ahead and feed everybody in the arena. But there was nowhere to buy bread. It's a trick question. Even if there had been a bakery in the wilderness, Philip estimates that 200 days or seven months of wages would not have been enough to feed these people even if they could just have a little. A denarius was a day's wage. Figure about $100 in modern day equivalents. That would be about $10 an hour, no benefits. It would have been just enough, maybe not even enough then, to almost raise a family, to be one of the working poor. Still at a modest rate, 200 denarii is the equivalent of $20,000, and Phillips says in effect, $20,000 worth of grub would not be enough. We couldn't buy that much bread in Jerusalem if we even had the money. But anyway, there's not even anywhere to buy bread, let alone we don't even have a dollar to buy bread. And Andrew chimes in, there's just a little boy with five loaves and two small fish, but that's worthless, there isn't enough. There isn't enough. How many times have those words popped into your head recently? There isn't enough money. There isn't enough vaccines. There isn't enough medication. There isn't enough time. I don't have enough patience. It doesn't even seem that God is doing enough for us, for our church, our child care center. We need to try something new, something seemingly better. And usually we just throw our hands up and we say, there isn't enough. We give up. And don't be surprised if that is a time where God decides to test you. Our problem is is that we are so infected with sin, we are so obsessed with the mundane reality and details of our workday lives that we forget that God is the one who provides. We add up our debts, our mortgages, our credit cards, our student loans, and our car payments. We add the cost of stuff we think we want, the new car, the college educations, a piece of property on the river or in the mountains of Arkansas. We add something for our future, for our life of leisure. And then the total is astronomical. It is far greater than 200 anari. $20,000 is probably just the tip of the iceberg. We pay more than that in interest on most things. What will we do? How are we going to obtain this? The stock market is uncertainty. The lottery is a lie. $300,000 worth of bread wouldn't be sufficient. In the end, our mind is on the wrong things in life. But Jesus has a different solution. Give the crowds what they need not what they want. They need compassion. They need a shepherd who teaches and who feeds. But Jesus' solution isn't even equivalent to a miraculous walk-off home run on the bottom of the ninth inning. His solution isn't to have stuff magically appear out of thin air. Jesus uses what is available. Five barley loaves, and two small fish. Think about a couple of hamburger buns and some sardines. That's enough. It's more than enough for Jesus. The solution, according to Jesus, is to take what is available because he can work with that. He already created the loaves and the fish by his mighty word and hand, and it's enough to feed even the largest crowds. The only request that Jesus has of the crowds is very simple. Have the people sit down. Have them sit down. Have them take a load off. No need to bake bread. No need to buy it. No one needs to get out their fishing gear. No one needs to call Uber Eats or Grubhub and place a ridiculous order for food. Have the people sit down. And John as of some of the other gospel writers says simply that as they sit down in the desolate place, there was much grass there. That might be one of those terms that you just eh, you just read over. Eh, it's nice, they're sitting in the grass. But remember, this is a desolate wilderness place. And it's no small thing that John simply says, now as they sit down at Jesus' command, there was much grass there. In the wilderness, in the place of desolation, is the good shepherd having his people lie down in green pastures. There he is setting up a table before them in the presence of their enemies, of sin, the devil, fear, doubts, and death, and he provides an amazing abundance for them. He takes the food, what is available, and he gives thanks That word there in the original language is eucharisto. That's where we get one of our terms for the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving. Jesus gives thanks to God, and he distributes the food, just as he's doing here today. He gives thanks. Thanks for the five small loaves and the two small fish. We might be saying, there's not enough. Jesus says, it's fine. There's plenty. However, giving thanks, and by his creative and almighty word, he takes what is little, what is seemingly weak, and he provides in ways that one cannot imagine. Everyone eats to their fill, and Jesus has 12 baskets left over. When was the last time you went to a restaurant and had 12 doggy bags left over? We can't imagine this. What this tells us is there will always be enough when Jesus is teaching and having compassion and feeding us. So what does this mean for you? We weren't there. We don't seem to have like a, an event like the feeding of the 5,000. We come from different places, from the countryside and in town, and we're all gathered here. Some are gathered online on YouTube, but we're here where Jesus is promised to be. In all of our attempts to find meaning in all of the crowds that we gather around, whether it be political parties, sports teams, moral causes, or whatever, they fail in comparison to the meaning of what Jesus gives to us here in this sacred community of the one holy Christian and apostolic church. This place, this gathering, we might say, well, there's not enough, but Jesus says it's fine, there is plenty. We live in a world of desolation, we live in the valley of the shadow of death all around us, and yet when we come to this place, we find Jesus taking a bunch of people with all different kinds of sins, fears, and doubts, all different types of backgrounds and struggles, different issues, and he simply says, sit down. Stand up, sit down. Stand up, sit down. But in the end, he says, sit down. Have the people sit down. All he wants from you today is your sin, your fear, your shame, your guilt, your questions, your doubts. Those sins, the deepest, darkest corners of your life that cause chaos and disorder, those things that keep you up at night, those things that you don't think that Jesus can forgive or even solve for you, he wants all of it. Confess your sins, even your shame and guilt. Jesus comes to give you compassion today. He takes up all of your sins, all of your death, all of your despair, and by his body, he pays the price for you. He gives up his life for the whole world, and he forgives all of you. He forgives you into one ordered community, a community that we're welcoming new members into today and we rejoice with our new brothers and sisters in Christ at this place. This place is not about how you can become better people. This place is really not even about you as individuals. It's about a gathering, a community of people. Yes, we bring all of our doubts, our fears, and shames, shame with us. We bring all of our despair, and in the end, we are to bear with one another in their burdens. This isn't simply about you and God, it's also about us as a community, listening, praying, and taking care of one another. Even when you might look at this community and say, it's not enough, or it's not really what I'm looking for. I don't want people in my business. This is really what we are called to do, not to hear all of your dirt and say, oh, my, you've really been bad, but to listen, to pray, and to love, and to have mercy on one another. Week in and week out at this place, Jesus has planted his seed of the cross and resurrection for all. He has spoken to us the words of eternal life and the forgiveness of all of our sins to people who are broken, people who are dying, people who are not like you and me. And he has changed all of us from being outcasts and foreigners to be a part of his body and the community called the church. And yes, even this day, Jesus has set up a table before you in the presence of your enemies, of sin, the devil, the world, and death, and even yourself as your greatest enemy. And he invites you to take a load off, to have a seat, rest in his goodness and mercy which flow abundantly from his cross and his empty tomb into this wonderful feast of Holy Communion. We might look at this and say, it's just a piece of bread. It's a little cup of wine. It doesn't seem like it's enough. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He uses what he has given us to use. Nothing magical, nothing miraculous. His word is some bread, some wine, even some water in baptism, and by those things we have the food that is the medicine of immortality placed into our mouths, feeding, forgiving, refreshing, and strengthening us in body and in soul until life everlasting. And so what this means is that you'll never be the same. Even when we as a church and a child care face the tests that God lays before us. Even when we at times say it doesn't seem like there is enough. Look at what the early church even did. We hear very simply from Acts chapter 2. They gathered around the apostles teaching to prayer, to common things, and to the breaking of bread. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. They were changed through word and sacrament. They sold items and gave to the needs of the saints. They continually were in prayer, and no matter how the Lord might have tested them, where he had led them, he used what was given to add to their numbers. He would still work in and through them, and he still works in and through us today, no matter what's going on outside there today. We should do well to learn from all of this. We may not have everything that we want as individuals or as a church or anything else. We may be looking at all of our items, our budgets, our numbers, our attendance, or whatever aspect of this place that we might look at and we might say there isn't enough. It's not the way that it used to be. We can't make this happen. But Jesus thinks differently. He gives thanks for all of this, as should we, and we should remember that he is in control. It is his church, and you are his beloved children. He will have his way with us and with all of us here, whether we like it or not. The Lord will continue to provide for you in body and soul as he sees fit. However, at this place, we will never return to the chaos, the darkness, the disorder, and the meaningless directions in this life, because Jesus will continually invite you to come to this place to sit down so that you would receive his abundant love, his forgiveness, and his strengthening of faith. His goodness and mercy will pursue us all the days of our life until his work, his teaching, and feeding of his church is finished. But until then, just simply know this in your day-to-day life. There is enough, for Jesus is your good shepherd who has compassion on you. He has forgiveness and love for you. Your baskets are full. Your cup runs over. So simply have a seat. Take a load off. Rest in the compassion that Jesus has for you. Even at times when he tests you, simply taste and see that the Lord is good. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.